Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. This is the word of the Lord. Have you heard the phrase, we don't deserve dogs? Have you heard that's kind of a common phrase lately? Just talking about how wonderful dogs are and that humans really, uh, we just don't deserve how good they are. I don't know anything about cats, so I'm not going to get into that. But I, I, I think it's true that we don't deserve dogs. They are better to us than, than we have earned. So you guys know that I love history, and I've been reading some more and, and, and learning more about World War or two, specifically in the Pacific Theater, um, just wanting to learn more. And, and I told you, uh, I have to tell you, just not too long ago, I, I heard a story uh, about a dog that really piqued my interest during, during World War II. And so I've been, been learning a little bit more. And so I've just got to share, share with you that I, what I'm convinced is the greatest dog of all time. Um, now, I, I apologize to you because I know you all have great dogs um, but I'm, I just think they probably fall a little bit short uh, of this one. Let me introduce you to what I think is the greatest dog of all time, Judy. Has anybody ever heard of Judy, the English pointer before? Some of you probably have. They, I think there's like movies and, uh, a, a, about this dog. Um, Judy was a purebred English pointer uh, who started out as a mascot for a, a couple of different British ships uh, that were serving during the, during the Pacific Theater. Um, the, the British fought the Japanese in, in places like Singapore and Burma, um, and, and she became famous uh, because she had this, this knack. She was a terrible hunter. Apparently she wasn't a pointer like she was supposed to be. Um, but she had this knack for, for detecting oncoming planes and ships and even submarines before radar and anything else could. She just had this knack for getting on alert, and they said, something is going on here. And this, this dog saved several ships from attacks uh, because of her alertness. And so people thought, this is just the, uh, uh, the greatest dog. Well, they did, they did end up getting captured at, at one point by the Japanese, um, and the crew loved her so much that they smuggled her into the prison camp with them. Um, and uh, it was there that she met uh, a man by the name of Frank Williams, and they became lifelong companions. Uh, Frank is, is the guy that's there in the picture. Um, and so uh, he taught her how to hide from the guards because obviously the Japanese didn't a- a- allow dogs. But they, kept try- they thought there was a dog. They kept trying to catch, her, catch this dog, but they never could. And Frank was 
they just had a bond and they could almost read each other's minds and he could make a click and that dog knew I got to go hide in the jungle of like the Burmese, you know, jungle. So, which is a dangerous place and this dog survived crocodiles and snake attacks and all kinds of, it's just an incredible story. I, I could talk all afternoon about this dog, but um, she saved soldiers from scorpions in their beds and all kinds of you know, poisonous snakes that would crawl into the camp and stuff. I mean, this dog did everything. Well, so then they were going to get transferred. They get on a ship which gets torpedoed, and people are drowning. This dog is saving people from drowning. It's getting pieces of wood and, like, taking wood to these people who are drowning. Like, saves multiple soldiers. How, how it knows how to do this, nobody s- still knows. Well, so during that, they get separated, and Frank is just despair, uh, beyond despair, because now he's in another camp um, and somehow he hears about this miraculous dog that's saving people's lives, and somehow it gets smuggled back in, and they find that, that they are reunited. I mean, it's, this is like a true war miracle. Um, and uh, eventually they'll get out. I'll kind of end the story for you. But, and, and this dog, Judy, uh, wins uh, the, the highest award for gallantry. And, and there have been several books written about Judy. Uh, the most recent and most popular is called No Better Friend. Uh, and in that, in this book, there are dozens and dozens of stories of like, how did that dog do that? The, the soldiers would be starving at times, and Judy would go out and hunt and bring something back for the, for the soldiers in this prison camp and kept them alive uh, by, by, she learned how to hunt. Um, in, just incredible things. There would be guards that would be, you know, torturing people. The dog would come and, and you know, bite at them and then run off and it would, it would distract them. And I mean, just people, just many people said they owe their lives to Judy. In interviews with Frank later on in his life, he said that Judy kept him alive and not just through her heroic actions. He said that him being in charge of her and being the one caring for her and taking care of her kept him alive. And so they, they were in prison camps together for almost six years. And he said that Judy gave him a purpose, uh, gave him a reason for living. And, and, and if it wasn't for that dog, he said, I, I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it out, out of those uh, prison camps. But caring for her gave him such a purpose. And, and, and he just said, I was ready to die. There were times I was just ready to die. And, and, and so we would say she became his why. She became his reason for living in, in, in some ways. So I'd ask you, what is your why for this morning? What is your why? We're, we're going to talk about this, the, these ideas of living and, and, and dying, and what gets you out of bed in the morning? Right? That's, a, that's a common question that, that we ask. Uh, what keeps you going? What is your why? I, I'm going to suggest to you that we all need to have our whys. And, and there's a lot of things that I love. You know, college football has just started, which I love when college football is going before the NFL because college gets all the attention, but that's just me. Um, but, you know, golf and even pickleball and television and, 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 and the greatest dog in the world, they're wonderful things, but none of those are good enough to be our why. They can't be the true why that we have. There's got to be more than that, doesn't there? There's got to be more. So let's pray together as we think about our wives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings us life and truth and it points us to Jesus. 
God, would you work in this time in all of us that we would hear your word. Nothing from me, God, but only your truth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 26 this morning. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. You can just read that as keep on rejoicing. I will continue rejoicing. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So just a reminder about the book of Philippians. Uh, The author, Paul, he is in prison. He is awaiting a trial uh, in Rome that will determine if he lives or dies. Life has been incredibly hard for him. Uh, he is writing this letter to some of his favorite people, to some of his, his close friends. And, and we have said he is a sufferer writing to sufferers. Yet, as we have been in this little mini-series of joy from of chapter 1, we could say, Paul is filled with joy despite all the things, despite this hard life and and despite awaiting a trial that that will decide what happens to him, he's filled with joy. He won't stop talking about it, in fact. He just won't stop. In in the last few weeks, we have seen him talk about the joy that he has from from being a part of a community of believers. That was kind of our first piece several weeks ago. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw that he had joy because of their partnership and and what we would call a greater cause, some living for something bigger than himself, which was the gospel. He said the greatest good there ever could be is the gospel. And, and so he had joy knowing that in, through his life being in prison, he saw the gospel going forward, and he knew it was going forward in, in these people as well. It brought him joy. And, and last week, Brian shared about the joy that we have in, in abiding in Christ. What does that mean to abide in Christ. We, we saw that there is no greater joy than knowing Jesus and, and, and living in Him and through Him. A, a life of Jesus is the greatest joy that you can have. And, and so this week we're going to see Paul's joy again as he's writing about keeping on rejoicing. And, and what I will summarize as the big picture. Right? He has joy in the big picture. And so we're just going to examine a few things that he mentions here, and then we'll put them all together kind of at the end. So, so most scholars say that so far in chapter 1, Paul has, he's kind of looked backwards, he's looked at the past, and then he's also looking at the present, and he's finding joy in the present circumstances. And now he's going to make a transition 
And we would call that a transition to the future. He has joy looking towards what is ahead. And, and so I, I think we're going to see kind of three main things that he finds joy in as he's looking towards the future. The first is, is this. The first point he's going to talk about is his, his ultimate goal. So we'll just call that his ultimate goal. I want you to look at verses 18 through 20 again. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will just say, keep on rejoicing. For I know that through your prayers, as the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So what would you say, reading that, what would you say uh, is, um, is his ultimate goal? What would you say is there? We could just say it's the honoring of Jesus. Right? That's what he said, that Christ would be honored in my body. So we might just call that glorifying Christ, glorifying Christ. No matter what, he is convinced that Christ will make sure that Paul's life is used to glorify him in his life or in his death. That's, that's what brings Paul joy in this circumstance. Paul's okay with, no, with, either, with either outcome of that. He says, look, I, I don't know if I'm going to live or if they're going to kill me, but I have joy. I have joy. He says, I, I rejoice because, because either way, the thing that I care about the most is going to happen. The thing that I care about the most is going to happen. Either way, we're going to mention this just later on, but, but it's kind of similar uh, to what we can call the chief end of man. What we, what we use around here, the, the chief end of man, if you remember, remember that question. All right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, forever. This is what Paul is talking about. This is what he's expressing here. The only thing that matters now to him in his life whether he keeps on living or whether he gets killed, is, if, is, is that he's used to glorify Jesus. And, and, and there's good news because Paul says, look, I, I know it's going to happen. It's a sure thing. It, it will happen. God will be glorified. God is going to make sure of it. So, so Paul's not doubting, well, I sure hope that well, there's a chance that it, I might, God not, might not be glorified in my life or my death. But because he is confident of that outcome, he'll basically say nothing else matters besides that. And I know that this outcome is secure. I I win. God wins. It's okay. And so I just want to talk about this confidence that he has for a second. You know, have you ever heard the saying, the hay is in the barn? I love that saying, the hay is in the barn. These days it gets used mainly... uh, in sports, right? And there's a coach that's talking to some reporter and he says something like, you know, we've practiced and we've got a great game plan and we've done everything that we can do. The hay is in the barn, right? Now all that's left is the game to be played, but we've done everything that we can to be prepared. I, but I really imagine that that phrase was, comes from a place very similar to co- a community like this. Right? I can just imagine some old farmer sitting on his front porch with a, a big glass of sweet tea. Maybe he's from the south if he's got a big glass of sweet tea. I don't know. 
I don't know what he would have here, apple cider, I don't know, whatever. But, right, this, this farmer's got just a sense of completion, a sense of peace. Right? I've spent my whole year getting ready, and, and now it's complete. I've done the hard work, and the hay is in the barn. The hard work is over, right? I'm prepared now. Well, the good news is that with the gospel, the hay is in the barn. And what I mean by that is that Jesus has done the work. Not you. You're not prepared because of the work that you've done. You're prepared because the work has been done by Jesus. He did all the hard work. He put the hay in the barn. And to take it even further, we would say he protects the barn. He's making sure no one's going to steal any of his hay out of his barn. And this is just great news for us. I I, want to... just mention real quickly that associated with the ultimate goal of glorifying Christ is the peace that, that Paul has in the outcome of that goal. Now the ESV and other translations use the word deliverance there in verse 19. And, and the Greek word there is, is soteria, soteria. And, and it's the word we, we typically translate as salvation in Scripture. Normally when you see the word salvation in the New Testament, it's, it's the word soteria. And so what Paul means there in verse 19 is, is something bigger than just, hey, I'm safe. Right? He's talking about his soul, his whole life, is, there's salvation already there. There's deliverance from anything bad that could happen to him because his ultimate eternity is secure. And so he's boasting in all of that. There is already deliverance that's happened. And he is looking forward to salvation and eternity with his Savior. Okay, so the second part, I said there's three things here. The second part is what we would call Paul's preferred outcome. So he has told us, hey, here's the ultimate goal, and I know it's going to happen. It's the same thing God's working towards, so I have security. It's the big idea. And he says, but here's what I would rather have. I'll, I'll, just, ha- I'll just let you know my preferred outcome. And he has already said that, you know, his life or his death will accomplish the great goal. He says, I I wish that this would happen. And and, and it's in verses 21 through 24. It says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So some would ask the question, was, is Paul dealing with mental illness here? Or is he just some sort of fatalistic guy? What, what's his problem? Is, is something wrong? And I would say, I don't think so. I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but, but I, I think for Paul, death is simply the accomplishment of the goal that he has. And that is full glory. Glory, remember, is the goal. And so he just says, look, death for me is the, is, is the accomplishment of that goal. The gaining of my lifelong passion. So, you know, he says that not because he has a death wish or because his desire is to be done with the troubles. Of, you know, we say stuff like, that. boy, I just can't wait to be done with all of this. Life is just too hard. Just take me now, Lord. That's not what Paul is saying in, at all. Even though he's got every reason to say it that way, that's not what he's saying. He says, look, it's simply better to depart and to be with Christ perfect eternal communion with my Savior. That's, that's the goal. That's what he's been working towards. And he says, I'd, I'll take that right now if God has that for me. 
And so now the third part of the message is what we would call his predicted outcome, Paul's predicted outcome. He says, you know, here's, here's the ultimate goal. Here's what I wish would happen. Here's what I think is going to happen. I'll, I, I, he kind of changes directions on us. So look at verses 24 through 26. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul believes that God is going to preserve his life. He, that, he makes his prediction. He says, look, Paul, God's going to preserve my life, uh, and I'm going to get to go back to the Philippian church. He says, he says look, I'd, I'd rather leave and go be with Jesus but, but God may want me to come back. He want, may want me to stay around and keep ministering to you guys and to others. That's what I think is going to happen, he says. And, and he knows that that's going to include kind of, you know, more suffering and more hard work. But, he says, it's, it's for the benefit of helping you guys know more about Jesus. And that's, I can, I can deal with that. I'm okay with that too. He says, I want you guys to have the same joy in the faith that I have. And so if that's what God has me here to do, I want to help you guys understand that. In terms of history, in case you're curious, we, we don't think, most historians don't think that he got back to the Philippian church. We, do, we don't know. But we do think he actually lived a couple of years past when he wrote this letter. Uh, and, and they think he was able to uh, and allowed to travel with a guard up, some think he even went up into Spain and, and was able to kind of plant more churches, preach the gospel, and, and, and keep sharing for the joy and the faith of others. So he, he was maybe partly right. We just don't know if he got to the Philippian church again or not. But he was okay with more hard work and toil if it meant the glory of Christ and the furthering of the gospel. So if, if any of you are uh, Shakespeare fans, this conversation has similarities to the one that uh, Hamlet fam- famously has with himself in the, the well-known, I would say, word, soliloquy, uh, to be or not to be. And, and you maybe remember your high school literature, uh, to be or not to be, right? Uh, I'm not going to try to read it to you. Uh, it's not, poetry's not my thing. But basically, sh- you know, Hamlet is trying to decide between what we call a lose-lose situation. Does he try to fight against his uncle and lead a rebellion over this, you know, the, the man who killed his father? And, but he knows I have no ability and no power and no way that I can win against my uncle. It's just not possible. So do I do that, which is essentially suicide? Or do I just end my life right now? That's, that's the, the, the turmoil that, that Hamlet is in in, in, this, you know, in, the, in this great soliloquy. And he basically decides, if you remember, that he is too afraid of the unknown of death. He basically says, what if what's after death is, what's, is worse than the terrible that I know now? That's kind of his conclusion, which isn't a great one, is it? it? Maybe the unknown is worse than the terrible that I live in. That's kind of, and so he says, the conscience makes cowards of us all. One of the most famous lines of all literature. The conscience makes cowards of us all. Meaning, he can't bring himself to do it. He doesn't know exactly what to do, but he can't bring himself to end his own life. And so, um, you know, many of us have been where Hamlet is. Not 
sure what to do, and it feels like a lose-lose no matter which direction that we go. Despair is all around us. We are, we are struggling like Hamlet to find our why. What, what purpose do I even have around here anymore? I'm not sure that I have one. To be or not to be, that's the question. The difference between Hamlet's you know, monologue here and, and, and Paul's monologue is that Paul is looking at a win-win. Hamlet's got a lose-lose. Paul's got a win-win. And it's amazing to think about it that way as Paul is sitting in prison after years of torture and persecution and living in just such a broken world. But he has joy because he realizes that he's sitting in a win-win situation. He says, look, if I die... Christ is glorified, and I have eternal peace and joy with Jesus. And if I I live, yes, there's going to be some hard stuff to that. But if that's what God wants because he's got a purpose for it, then it's a win because I get to live my life bringing glory to Christ by my life and by my ministry. So I'll, I'll just tell you, I'm a simple guy, and I need simple instructions, and I need simple whys as well. I need simple whys. And so this morning, I, I just have to keep it simple. And, and this is my, part of my simple why. And that, that is Philippians 1.21. It's a simple verse. It's a short one that you should memorize. Many scholars say that it is the greatest declaration that we can find. It is the apex of the gospel in Scripture. And it simply says this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. There was a, a famous preacher by the name of Martin Lord Lloyd Jones, and he said, Don't don't try to explain Philippians 121, because every time you do, you ruin it. It's beautiful in its simplicity and clarity, and everyone knows what it means the second that they hear it. So don't try to explain it. And so I'm gonna take his advice there. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, life is, life is hard, and, and, and unfortunately, that's not going to change on this side of eternity. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee an easy life, but it does make life a win-win situation. It makes it different than what Hamlet is dealing with. Because eternity is guaranteed for, for the believer, and because God will use our lives to glorify Christ. Everything that happens to you in life or in death is a win. And so if you are alive today, then you can say like Paul that God is not finished with me yet. There is something for you to do that will glorify Christ. And, and you can find the joy of life in that, that he has you here and there's a reason. And, and every day presents you with that opportunity. What is your why? Why are you living? Why do you have hope and peace? What passion fills your thoughts in your waking hours and sleepless nights? Are you pursuing academic achievement or career success, health and fitness, a fulfilling marriage, successful children, a successful family, financial stability, popularity, community recognition? You know, these, are, these are the typical things we're told to live for. These are our whys. But, and I would say those are good goals. All of those things can be good, but they're not good enough to be 
your ultimate why, to be your ultimate goal. If you're living for any of those things, you will be disappointed in the end. The, the, the earth tries to get us to take our eyes off of Jesus, to live for something else, to have our, our life's purpose in something or somebody else. And, and this is where we miss out on the joy that Paul says we can have in this life. Nothing but Christ will truly satisfy. Nothing but Christ can bring true and lasting joy. And, and so so that's, that's our challenge. That's my challenge for you, for us this morning. Every morning, when you place your feet on the floor for another day, it's another day that, that God has given you. It's also another day of toil, another day of work, another day in a broken world with broken people, another day when our bodies hurt and ache and suffer. I want you to think of your why. You put your feet on the ground. What is your why for the day? Before you start your day and get going with all the things the world tells you should be your why, why not talk with the Lord and and reaffirm the whys that Paul has here, the the win-win situation that we've been given through Jesus. Lord, help me to live this day in the right way. Help me to focus on the real whys, the real ones. Help me to know why I am living. Why did you keep me here for this day? What's my why? Help me to remember, Lord, why I can have ultimate hope today. So you and I are alive today, so let's have joy in this. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Father, we live in a world that tries to steal joy from us. We live in a world that tries to present us with counterfeits. Joys that will not last, like career and possessions and entertainment and comfort and and recreation, pleasure, even family. All these are your creations and they can be good, but they are not our wives. Would you help us this day and every day forward to commit and be reminded of the real wives that we have? why we are alive, and that is to glorify you and to help make you known why we can have ultimate hope, which is that it is a win-win. If we are alive today, you are with us and you are working out your kingdom and your goodness in us. And if today is our last day, it means you are taking us home to our eternal, ultimate goal, which is eternity with you, in paradise, in peace, communion with you. God, help us to have that kind of focus in what we do. We need your help, Lord. We want this kind of joy in our life. We don't want to live just getting through another day, just toiling aimlessly for no reason. God, we want your joy, your purpose in life. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.